begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I have to give you a little bit of a, um, a little bit of an aside. If you, if it occasionally feels as though something might be crashing down in our building, that is the sound of the snow on our metal roof occasionally cutting loose and sliding. Have you been hearing it through the service? So yeah. Anyway, so if you hear that external noise, that's kind of what's going on, what's going on out there. So, uh, so welcome this morning, everyone. Overjoyed to see you. And as we kind of continue walking through this, this sermon series of a God-lived life, we've been asking ourselves, uh, um, when, we, when we know the gift that we've been given, how does it affect our daily living, our attitudes, um, and kind of how we hold ourselves? Um, and so today, that's what we want to look at specifically. Um, in your mind, for just a minute, think of the last time or, or the most impactful time in your life when you felt like an outsider. Okay? So um, the most impactful or maybe most vivid time in your life when you felt like an outsider. Did ideas come up almost immediately? Maybe, right? Um, I don't think that anyone sitting here this morning would probably dare to say, nope, never felt it. Because the truth is, um, in our world, we seem to have an endless capacity to make others feel as though they're outsiders and in some sense, that we're on the inside, okay? Now, you thought of that memory. What was the location? What was it? School. School, yeah. I think we probably could have done a top 10 uh, or a top five. And I would venture to say maybe some of your most vivid memories of feeling of what it feels like to be other or on the outside looking in may possibly have happened at school. At some point during your education, at some point on the playground, in the cafeteria, uh, in the classroom, um, there, there are moments when we intimately feel what it's like to be on the outside looking in. And I would say the truth is, um, when that memory came into your mind, I, at least for me, like um, almost maybe a little bit of nausea or queasiness to your stomach, right? We know what it feels like. It doesn't feel awesome. It feels terrible. In fact, so much so that I bet uh, that every single one of you had a memory of that happening because that's how impactful it is to us. Right? I think more often than not, maybe it does happen in the school setting. Uh, maybe some of you remember this story. It happened in 2016. Uh, it was a, a Florida State University wide receiver named Travis Rudolph. Um, so he was phenomenal. Florida State at that time was pretty good, but he was uh, NFL pro-level talent. He was a student at, at FSU uh, and actually went to visit some kids in their elementary school. Uh, it was there that Travis, um, and we don't, actually don't know his motivation necessarily or if someone prompted him, but seems as though it was just his own reaction when he came to that cafeteria and he saw all of the kids sitting there. Someone snapped a picture of what happened. Now you take a look, Travis obviously is, 
is the large football player there. Um, he sat with a kid named Bo Paskey. Uh, Bo uh, was, is on the spectrum. Bo has autism. Um, and this was not a strange sight in the cafeteria for Bo. Um, very often, because he was different, because he reacted differently, um, Bo ate alone. On that day, Travis, who we want to talk about those that may be on the inside, if you are a, a scholarship level Division I football player at FSU, I would guess that you don't feel as though you're on the outside very often. Maybe more often you're on the inside. And so when Travis said, I'm not going to let Bo eat alone today and sat down by him, um, someone snapped a picture of it. It's moving um, because he didn't have to do that. It's moving because on some level Travis understood and was on the inside and yet chose to sit with someone that was alone. That picture eventually made it to Bo's mom, Leah, and she kind of posted a, a Facebook post about it and what it meant to her as a mom, knowing her son at that cafeteria. She said this, Travis Rudolph, a wide receiver at Florida State and several other FSU's, FSU players, visited my son's school today. I'm not sure what exactly made this incredibly kind man share a lunch table with my son, but I'm happy to say that it will not soon be forgotten. This is one day I didn't have to worry if my sweet boy ate lunch alone because he sat across from someone who is a hero in many eyes. Travis Rudolph, thank you so much. You made this mama exceedingly happy and it made us fans for life, right? Um, it mattered, right? His actions mattered. Uh, the motivations for it, where it came from, I don't know, but it mattered. Um, it made an impact on that mother. It made an impact on Bo, right? When someone who the world may have perceived as being on the inside decided to step outside, um, to open his arms simply to a boy with autism at lunch, right? Today, we want to talk a little bit about the same thing. Um, the con this concept of hospitality. I talked to the kids a little bit about it. Um, when we live a God-lived life, um, what snapshots of us would people see? Of our actions, of our words, and of our living? Um, would someone, could someone, if they randomly took a picture of us in any given situation, would it look like this? Or maybe not. Today, we want to take a look at that, um, not only inspecting, I'd say, our own hearts and our own lives, but how does God and the gospel empower us um, to live lives of hospitality, God-lived lives that open our arms um, to those that may very much feel as though they're on the outside looking in. So today, that's what we're going to do. Uh, I've got three points for you. Now, uh, if you'd like to follow along, um, so we're talking about hospitality today. We're going to talk about how in Christ... Um, we're on the outside, but then in, what that does when we're on the inside out, um, and finally, us never being alone. So those are kind of the three points that we're going we're gonna to look at today. So if you'd like to follow along, you can. I'm going to start with just reading uh, verse 9 of our text this morning. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. 
Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, uh, this is kind of fascinating because we get thrown into this. This is early in Jesus' ministry. So he's, he's choosing his disciples. Some of those disciples are also choosing to follow Jesus. So um, it's not by accident that we have this text. When we are talking about um, what does it look like to be a disciple of Christ? If you call yourself Christian, you're a follower of Christ. And so I think it only makes sense that there are times when we as Christians say, okay, what does that look like? What does that look like from the pages of Scripture, right? Today, we get kind of a beautiful insight into that. So early in Jesus' ministry, uh, he's choosing his disciples, those that would be uh, um, the the foundation of the early Christian church, um, and he's asking them to come with. Specifically today, he goes to Matthew and says, follow me. Now, um, a a couple things that are probably interesting about this is, number one, uh, Matthew was a tax collector. So I think we know to some degree what that means. Means So within Israelite society, Matthew was an outsider. In fact, I mean, we, we could use worse words than that. Matthew was considered a traitor. Uh, he was considered a traitor not only to his own people, um, but a, a mercenary and a sellout to the Romans. So tax collectors were required to collect taxes, oftentimes exorbitant taxes, um, from their own people. And any taxes that they, they, they demanded... Um, that were over and above what the Romans wanted, they got to keep themselves. So we hear stories of tax collectors. Um, oftentimes, they were some of the wealthiest people in the community. How did they get wealthy? Off of their neighbors, okay? So that's who Matthew was. That's what was happening here, right? So he was very much so on the outside looking in, uh, um, outside of Israelite community, outside of Israelite social circles, Um, And in fact, outside of Israelite worship practices, if you were deemed a sinner, if that was the label that was placed on you, if you were in certain categories, you were barred from worship at the temple. You were not allowed to come in. You were considered unclean. Matthew was one of those, right? Very much on the outside looking in. And so it's fascinating that Jesus comes and says to Matthew, a tax collector, follow me. Today, your life is going to be different. And in fact, every day here on out, your life is going to look different, right? He does that. I think what's also a little bit instructive is, do you see where Jesus finds Matthew? He's at work. Isn't that interesting? Um, and and um, it's, it's a little bit of a, um, uh, an, an aside, I think, to the text. But I think it is fascinating that Jesus comes to Matthew at his workplace, in his vocation, right? Where he was actively cheating his fellow Israelites out of money. (laughs) Jesus goes to him, right? I think that's instructive for us as well. When we start thinking about how do we live a God-lived life, um, and I don't think I'm going out on a limb here to say it is far easier in some sense for you to live a God-lived life in these walls than it is to live a God-lived life out there. It just is, isn't it? Like, and and, and um, us pastors, I think we, we get to cheat just a little bit because my vocation, I get to work with believers with you all day long, right? Um, all week long. And I'm kind of, in a sense, immersed in that, but that's not the norm, right? The norm is you, right? Living a God-lived life that 
at times are strengthened and encouraged by the, the, the gathering of believers, but far and away it is lived out there, right? In your workplaces, at your school, with your family members, in your community, and with your neighbors, right? I think it's beautiful that Jesus goes there, right? To Matthew, where he existed at, right? He does so and simply says, follow me. Now, we don't know the full background of Matthew at this point, right? Had Matthew been exposed to Jesus already before this? We're not sure. It very well could have happened, right? Um, was this like kind of a um, Matthew's literal come to Jesus moment, like the first time he had ever run into Jesus? That's possible too. We just don't really know. What we do know is the impact and the reaction from Matthew when Jesus said, follow me. Matthew did it, right? Instantly, he felt uh, he was on the outside and instantly he felt he was on the, in, uh, on the inside, right? It shouldn't surprise us that Jesus has a knack for doing that. In fact, I'd argue the gospel has a knack for doing that. Uh, a woman named Rosaria Butterfield who understood what it meant to feel as though she was on the outside of the gospel looking in once said this, the gospel comes with a house key. And I think we could be even more specific. That house key is Christ, right? It's Jesus. It's the forgiveness that Matthew now knew he had in Christ. So the gospel, and this is the amazing thing about it, is um, the, the sacrifice of Christ and the gospel empowers godly living and changes hearts. Matthew's heart was changed forever thereafter. He knew his Lord and Savior. He knew that he was forgiven. And that opened up the house and changes that came from it, right? And I think we know the same. That change in our hearts is also what drives our uh, God-lived lives, right? And it comes from no other place other than Jesus. How do we enter the house of God, the family of God, It is through Christ, through Jesus, through his sacrifice for you, changing our hearts from darkness to light. Romans 5.8 says this, God demonstrates his love in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you, for me, for us. You know the implications of this, right? While we were still sinners. Remember what Matthew was? Sinner, an outsider, right? And so not any one of us can claim that we had, we had the right stuff and we had the right makeup and we were just positioned in the right place for God to bring us inside his house. In truth, every last one of us were standing on the outside looking in. Our natural inclination is to be our own God rather than submit to and love a God above. All of us were on the outside looking in until Christ gave his life on the cross for you, for me, and for our world. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not after they cleaned their life up a bit, then he died for us. Not, they've got a pretty good resume, I think I can do something with this, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. That's what the gospel is. Christ is the key that opens up not only our hearts, but what it means to live a God-lived life. Matthew found that. 
And what's kind of fantastic is it, it, it changed how he not only viewed Christ, but actually how he opened up his heart and his home um, thereafter. Jump to our next uh, couple of verses here, verse 10 and 11. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, understand what's happened. Um, um, Matthew opened up his home to Jesus. We call this hospitality, right? Um, who were the people that were legally allowed to eat with Matthew in his home? Other sinners. You want to know who would not go there? Pharisees, Sadducees, because they would have been deemed unclean. So lo and behold, Matthew opens up um, um, his home and his heart and who is there but people that he worked with, that he lived with, people that he called friends. Because when your heart is changed and you find something that, that has changed not only um, your view of the world around you, but most importantly, your view of how God sees you, what do you want to do? I think naturally you want to share it with the people that you love and you care about. And who were Matthew's friends? Sinners. <laughs> and so he opened up his home and he put food in front of everybody's face. And imagine what happened. They chatted with the Savior. The key, the gospel that opens up the house. Right? That's this concept of hospitality. Um, the Greek word for it in the New Test Testament is Philoxenia. So if you kind of split that up into two and you think, um, I didn't know I was getting a Greek lesson today. You're not, but you're getting one word. Um, but you, you split those in half, Phyllis and Xenia. So Phyllis, um, um, we, we, aren't we aren't Eagles fans, but it is the city of brotherly love, right? So Phyllis is, is love, right? And Xenia, right, if you use the English word xenophobia, right, Xenia is strangers. So um, philoxenia is, is hospitality, is literally love for strangers, right? It's what Jesus did as he called Matthew. It's what happened at Matthew's house as, as um, they ate food and talked to Christ and came to understand exactly who he was, right? Um, that, in some sense, is a natural progression of the hospitality we know we have in Jesus. So love of strangers, guess who was a stranger once? Us. And Christ loved you, loved you enough to lay down his life for you on the cross. That is what empowers us to um, even think about this concept of loving others, right? Matthew did that in our text. Uh, Peter, one of those disciples, kind of on the outside, looking in, but became an insider, um, actually said this in 1 Peter chapter 4. It says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's that word, right? Philozenia, right there. Peter says, Offer hospitality to one another, and then, do you kind of wish there was a period at the end of that? without grumbling. So now we don't want to read too much between the lines, but why, why do you think Peter would have to add that, those last two words on there? 
because they were, we were grumbling, right? Because, because there were Christians, there were brothers and sisters in Christ who were doing it, but were not happy about it. And, and let him know, and let each other know, right? But Peter says, offer hospitality for one another without grumbling, right? Um, not because you have to, but because you want to, because you know what it means to be on the outside looking in. And when Christ is in your heart, in our hearts and in our homes, it invariably turns our eyes from the inside looking out. Peter encourages us to do that. We see that happen in our text here as well. Right? Next few verses. Verse 12. On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so Jesus kind of um, sums up what these Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes had seen happen and kind of wraps up their complaint against him in the same way, right? Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, this ending here is actually pointed at someone specifically, specifically the Pharisees, right? Because they very much felt they were on the inside and had no need of Christ or his message of forgiveness. And so what is Jesus' implications, implication to them? You're lost and you don't even know it. You're alone and you don't even know it. Your hearts are darkened and filled with death and you don't even know it. In a sense, Jesus was trying to wake them from their spiritual slumber, to understand his purpose in ministry, that he had come to die on the cross for the sins of all. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That really is what motivates and empowers our desire on any level to be hospitable, right? One of the, routinely, one of the top um, things that our world will report that we are lacking, or on the positive side, that we are in need of, is something that is remarkably simple. It's this concept of kindness. Poll after poll, people will say that. And, and kindness is a little bit hard to, to pin down, isn't it? Right? Um, we know it when we feel it and see it in people's eyes and faces and in what they do, but it's a little bit hard to pin down. But it routinely is one of the top things that people say our world is missing, that we are lacking, and that we wish there was more of. I think there's an intimate connection between that concept of kindness and Christian hospitality and our desire to open our hearts and our arms to those um, that, that, that look different, that talk different, that act differently than us. It's exactly what Jesus did in our text. Now, this raises a little bit of a question, I think, sometimes in our minds as believers. Um, um, and our world tends to do this, and I would encourage you as, as mature adults and mature Christians, our world really likes to say, um, you can only do one thing or the other. It's either this or it's that, right? So, uh, um, you, but the truth is, as believers, we know that two things can be true at the very same time. I think we run into that a little bit in our text here today, right? Jesus called Matthew 
to be his disciples. He ate with sinners. And simultaneously, Jesus did not condone sin. In fact, we have other accounts of that, right? When when Jesus was with the Samaritan woman uh, at the well, he revealed who she was and her lifestyle, right? Um, But ultimately, showed her forgiveness and said, go and sin no more. Did the same with the woman who was going to be stoned by the Pharisees. In fact, he points to them and says, you who have no sin cast the first stone. They all dropped their stones and walked away. And to the woman, Jesus said, now go and sin no more. And so we can simultaneously love God and his word and his commands and declarations and promises to us in the Bible and love the people around us and in our world and offer and show hospitality. We can do both those things. I heard someone once say that um, um, that, key, that, op- that key of the gospel that opens up the house of God doesn't so much require you to change before you enter the door, but when you enter the door in the house, you will be changed, <laughs> right? Over time in significant ways. Matthew's life would never look the same as a follower of Christ. Ours doesn't either because that's actually the power of the gospel working in our hearts and through his word on a regular basis. And so two things can be true. You can love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you can love your neighbor as yourself. Imagine, right? That's where this hospitality comes from. But maybe the question sometimes I think for us is how hospitable would people consider us? If they took a snapshot or a photo of us in certain instances, what would it reveal, right? Uh, (laughs) I haven't been to your houses, uh, but I hope that this one's not, they, this, you can buy this. This this is a legitimate product, by the way. Yeah, where you could, um, Amazon's got everything you could ever want, right? But yeah. Right? But I, we giggle a little bit, but that, sometimes I think that's our view of hospitality. We love that people are hospitable to us and to others. Um, we'll just let them do that. But for me, <laughs> not so much. We pull back, right? Um, we isolate. So um, I think that can happen in our personal lives, in our personal homes. Um, I think that can happen in our church life as well. Uh, some of you maybe have seen uh, a, this is a little bit older poll, but I think it's still stands true. Uh, but the White House Office of Consumer Affairs did a poll on, on why people come and go and stay from like restaurants or establishments and kind of their attitudes in that. So this isn't specific to churches, but it's kind of across the board. Um, if COVID did anything, it made us even more of a kind of hospitality class consumer-based society, right? And so I think these things are even more true today. So I've got some fill in the blanks for you. Percentage of unhappy customers never complain about unfriendly treatment. Think in your mind. 96% of unhappy customers never complain about unfriendly treatment. What do do we do? Here's the answer. 90% will not return to the place where that unfriendliness happened. You just don't go back. That's the truth. I mean, life's hard and exhausting without 
actually having conversations and confronting a lack of friendliness, right? These kind of things. So this is not strange to us because I think we would probably fall in there, right, sometimes. Now, of those that never go back, 77% will tell nine other people about the lack of friendliness. Okay? So they'll communicate it, right? 13% will tell more than 20 other people. Okay? So what are the implications for us, I think, as an institution, as a church, and even in our personal lives? I think the point is, is that it matters. Your kindness, your friendliness, your hospitality absolutely matters. And if we care about the gospel and putting people in contact with Christ, this matters. Because people matter. Because they matter to Christ, right? Uh, we'll sometimes do polls of churches, when they're, especially when they're calling a new pastor. You have to, you're required as a church to characterize yourself, your strengths and weaknesses as a congregation. Then our district presidents will line you up with potential pastors, right? Every single church that's ever been polled says, we're friendly. It's true. Every single one, right? We would do the same because you're like, it's not really great to say we're not very friendly, right? But, but here's the trouble that is that our concept of friendliness, I think, has limits and it has parameters. And I'm not always sure that those that are coming to within our walls, view that friendliness in the same way. So everyone says they're friendly, but what that often means is they are friendly to people like them. Okay? They are friendly to people they know. They're friendly to people they like. They're friendly to people who benefit them. Is that actually friendliness? Not really. Or hospitality? Not really. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have friends, that we don't have friends, people that like we connect with on a deeper level, right? That is absolutely a blessing from God. But if that is where we start and end, it poses a little bit of an issue, right? As we consider that concept of hospitality, I think we consider it in our own hearts and in our own homes, but even in how we treat, how we act within the walls of this congregation. If our congregation is considered unfriendly, who do you think is at fault? This is not a trick question. Us. Yeah. Here's the good news. If your congregation is considered unfriendly, who can solve that? We can. (laughs) That's the beautiful thing. And motivated by the gospel and the key that we have in Christ and the fact that we are a part of his house and his household, we want to. Whatever we can do, right, to communicate kindness, friendliness, right, to open our arms to those that are on the outside looking in, and most importantly, to introduce to them the gospel, the key, who is Jesus Christ. Amen.